Holy crap, this was a crazy week. Facebook's going down and Facebook's going down. Google's letting you have Android 12, but only if you really want it. And speaking of Android 12, Cliff and I are looking at the Google Pixel 5a 5G. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week, man, stuff got crazy. We cover all this in the news, but first, a Facebook whistleblower testified to Congress that Facebook will put money before mental health and anarchy. Plus, I think she said some other things that were actually surprising. Then, Facebook took a giant dump and disappeared off the face of the internet for about six hours, taking Instagram and WhatsApp with it. Facebook did not have a good week. Also on Monday, Google announced Android 12 and officially released it into the AOSP. OTA updates? Not so much. Just what the hell, Google? The good news is you can have the official release of Android 12 today on your Pixel. The bad news is in order to get it, near as I can tell, you need to install the Android SDK, manually load some drivers, use a flashing tool, stand on your head facing east, and repeat the words, Google, Google, I love Google. No thanks. We'll dive into that a little bit more during our talk about the Pixel 5a later in the show. Plus, I've got a tech yeah item that is pretty awesome, but also really expensive. So keep that in mind when you're listening, and we will get to all of that. But first, we have to get to the news of the week. Facebook, the crappy... All right, all right, you know what? I'm going to give Facebook a break this week because it has had a really bad week. And some of these news stories might be a little bit on the long side because, frankly, there's a lot to digest in all of them here, so bear with me. Anyway, Facebook's week started off with a whistleblower by the name of Francis Hogan sitting down before Congress and laying out all the things that make... Okay, I guess I'm going to say it. All the things that make Facebook a crappy company run by terrible people. Here's a quote. Quote, This is not simply a matter of certain social media users being angry or unstable or about one side being radicalized against the other, she told Congress. It is Facebook choosing to grow at all costs, becoming an almost trillion-dollar company by buying its profits with our safety. Ouch! Okay, try to keep the gloves up there, Francis. In short, Facebook's algorithm is designed to promote engaged content, and nothing gets more engagement than pissed-off conservatives and pissed-off liberals sniping at each other, or a whole bunch of pissed-off liberals all gathering together to bitch about those damn conservatives. Oh, and by the way, a whole bunch of conservatives gathering together to bitch about those damn liberals. It goes both ways, folks. And Facebook is the weapons dealer that is selling to both sides, and most damning to Facebook is that there is evidence to back all this up. During the testimony, both Republicans and Democrats stopped pontificating long enough to actually ask questions based on the data provided, and Jesus Christ, Facebook, you've actually gotten some bipartisanship here, and honestly, I think that's the most extraordinary thing about this. Now, the good news is, Haugen doesn't recommend breaking up Facebook to solve this problem, and her reasoning is sound. Making a bunch of little Facebooks that all have the same problems is just going to create a lot of little problems rather than, you know, eliminating a larger one. Also, Haugen doesn't recommend censorship. She believes that everyone has the right to say what they want on Facebook, and while I agree with the sentiment in general, 
That's a lot of gray area to operate in. Rather, Haugen recommends looking at the technology around which the newsfeed is formed. A reverse chronological order is one way to go. Banning the use of engagement-based algorithms would also be a good start. If people want to form hate groups and spread conspiracy theories, there is little that we can do to stop them short of censorship, but Facebook does not have to serve up that stuff on a silver platter in the first place. If people want to chat about President Trump or, or even President Biden in all fairness, and trust me, I wouldn't mind chatting about him a little bit, the least we can do is make them go find that stuff for themselves rather than saying, here you go, get pissy. Overall, Casey Newton of Platformer, who has been reporting on social networks for years, really liked most of Hausen's testimony, but he did raise some red flags. Notably, he's concerned that this whole discussion around Instagram versus teenage girls could lose the fact that teenage girls are not only depressed because of Instagram. Similarly, polarization was happening in this country long before Facebook came around, so fixing Facebook at all won't fix society at large, even though the congressional hearings seem to suggest that it would. And I get that, it, it won't fix it, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. And this story is getting super long, so let's just move on. Meanwhile, while Francis Haugen was testifying, Facebook was pulling a real dick move by trying to smear her, noting that she had never had any direct reports and she never attended any C-level meetings or talked to any C-level decision makers. Uh, sure. Basically, in the words of The Verge, quote, Today, a peon testified in Congress, and she's too unimportant to name. Nothing she says is worthwhile because she is not fancy enough. And even though she had access to multiple internal research documents supporting her claims, you can't trust her testimony on them because, despite her subject matter expertise and years of experience in the field, because she didn't write them herself. So basically, Facebook tried to crap all over her testimony by pointing out that she wasn't sitting at the big kids' table, so really, what does she know? Well, it turns out, she knows a lot about Facebook, and Facebook sucks. Specifically, she has a ton of data and a ton of Facebook's own research that show what the problems are, and more importantly, that Facebook knows what the problems are, and Facebook is pushing those problems out to the public because it makes Facebook lots and lots of money. So Facebook, some free advice from someone who is also a peon and of no real importance, sit down and shut up. And if a choice comes down to being decent or being rich, choose decent occasionally, you dickheads. And in a hilarious bit of karma for Facebook, the social media giant spent the better part of Tuesday down, as in off the internet. Starting at around noon Eastern time and continuing until almost 8 o'clock p.m., Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp were just gone. And I gotta say, folks, it was kind of nice. Hilariously, millions of people took to Twitter to start dunking on Facebook for the entire time, and it was just glorious to watch. Meanwhile, millions of people around the world who use WhatsApp as their primary messaging tool basically had no way of getting a hold of people to gossip about Facebook being down. It was a real mess. You see, you have to realize the scope of the problem. This was all Facebook services all around the world just gone. But it goes further. There were reports of Facebook employees being dispatched to fix the issues who couldn't get into the building because their IDs weren't being recognized. Internal email accounts and tools just would not work. It got so bad that Facebook had to take to Twitter to let people know about the outage. That's like cable news networks posting an ad on the front page of newspapers apologizing for being off the air. It's bad, people. 
Anyway, everything was down for about six to eight hours, but then it all came back, and just in time, too, my Uncle Clark was just about to start printing up anti-vax memes and going door-to-door to show them to people. It was getting a little desperate. Now, in Facebook's defense, this is one of the longest outages I remember the social platform ever going through, and in the grand scheme of things, six to eight hours isn't terrible, but I think it's fair to say that this was just a little bit of karmic justice, and someone almost definitely got fired over this. Speaking of social media networks having a bad week, an anonymous hacker posted a 125 gigabyte torrent online that was acquired from Twitch. The hacker made off with creator payout totals from 2019 and going forward, and oh, by the way, the original source code for Twitch, including comment history, back to the beginning of the service. Some Twitter users are claiming to have found Twitch passwords in the data, so if you have a Twitch account, now would be a good time to change your password and enable two-factor authentication. Now, what the extent of this is or the repercussions will be here long-term, I'm honestly not sure. I suppose, theoretically, someone could, what, compile the code and launch a video service? I don't see that happening, but, you know, whatever. But this is a huge breach of a company that is owned by Amazon, so that's potentially unsettling. Supposedly, the leak also contains data from every other property that Twitch owns, so I guess there's potential there for a lot of mischief. Bottom line, someone at Twitch screwed up pretty bad, and someone's probably getting fired. Also at the beginning of the week, what, this hasn't been enough for you? Google kinda sorta released Android 12 officially to the masses, but there is a huge catch. Google pushed out the AOSP version of Android 12, but did not release OTA updates to Pixels, saying instead that those updates would be coming in the next few weeks. Traditionally in the past, Google has released the AOSP and Pixel versions of the software at the same time, so this is a bit different. Truth be told, I intentionally delayed my Pixel 5a review until this week because I thought Android 12 would be rolling out, so, uh, oh, whoopsie doodle, that was my bad, yeah. Anyway, Google says it is putting the finishing touches on the Pixel version, and it should be ready soon, but what Google hasn't said is why it released Android 12 in this way in the first place. This is rather late in the year to be releasing Android 12, so maybe Google just didn't want to wait any longer. Still, this whole thing is confusing and clumsy, which are two things that you usually don't associate with Google rollouts, but our next news item might provide a little bit of clarity. Google announced a launch date for the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro. October 19th is the big day, and I would not be surprised if that's also the day that Google releases, you know, Android 12 OTA updates. I have no special knowledge of the matter that's going to happen, but it seems fairly likely since it is a few weeks from now. Google will introduce both phones on the 19th, and rumors say that they'll be shipping the following week. And I have to say... I'm pretty intrigued by the upcoming phones. Rumors point to an aggressive price tag, at least for the Pixel 6. The 6 Pro's price tag will be higher, but it'll also be equipped with a Periscope camera, and folks, I'm a sucker for a Periscope camera, though, spoiler alert, the 3X zoom on the iPhone is awfully good. As to the Pixel 5a, Cliff and I will be talking about that in a little bit, but I'm less impressed with the phone than I was with the Pixel 4a. It's just not impressive overall, which is... Honestly, kind of disappointing. Regardless, I'm looking forward to the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro when they come, and despite the fact that Cliff has already said he'll be getting it, I might just be getting it too, and my wife might just be killing me. 
Of course, this week Windows 11 officially dropped for those computers that can actually handle it, and if you'll recall my Beyond a Doubt episode with Gary Sims of Gary Explains fame, you'll recall that my daily driver computer, the MSI laptop, can in fact run Windows 11. I haven't pulled the trigger on it myself just yet. I actually will be replacing my daily driver laptop with a pair of other Lenovo laptops, in the not-too-distant future, one of which already has Windows 11 on it. All the same, Windows Central has a list of five best features of Windows 11. And my favorite is probably Snap Assist. Snap is a pretty baller feature in Windows, even if it is a touch glitchy. I'm hoping that Windows 11 can punch that up and make it work much better. Snap Assist makes it easy to split up your screen into halves, thirds, or quarters, and those sizes are dynamic based on the size of your monitor. What I'm hoping made it into the build was the behavior when an external monitor is disconnected and then reconnected. Currently, if you disconnect a second, or in my case, third monitor, Windows just vomits all those windows onto the main screen, and when you reconnect the monitor, they just kind of stay where they are. In Windows 11, those windows are supposed to go right back to where they started, which would be amazing for me as someone who frequently connects and disconnects external monitors. That would be sweet, and what can I say? It's the little things for me. Speaking of Windows 11, reviews of the Microsoft Surface Laptop Studio dropped this week as well, and despite the fact that Cliff oddly doesn't want one, I thought we could give it a look. Personally, I'm absolutely fascinated by this device because of the unique hinge that comes along with it. The hinge works like a normal laptop hinge, and it isn't even much thicker, but it also rotates halfway up the screen, flipping the screen out so it can cover the keyboard and turn into a sort of artist's easel. It's kind of hard to describe, actually, but it looks really neat. Add to that the newly designed Surface Pen with haptic feedback when you draw, and you've got an artist's wet dream right there. The laptop starts at $1,600, so it's not that cheap, but you can get a discrete RTX 3050 Ti GPU starting at $2,100, and if you want the speckiest spec laptop you can find, that's going to run you $3,100, so... <laughs> That's a little bit of yikes right there. Add to that the 11 hours of battery life, and that's with the RTX 3050 GPU, which is pretty darn good, although at the same time, the Burgess review said that the battery wasn't good, so... I guess carry a power charger with you just in case you need it. Gizmodo harped on the fact that Microsoft didn't have an AMD option, opting only for Intel processors, and I guess that's a bummer, but it sounds like even Intel has the power to spare, so I'm not too concerned about it. Now we just have to talk Cliff into getting one so we can do a review. And finally, you might be asking yourself, what do Cleveland and the Surface of the Moon have in common? And one of them is a barren, soulless hellscape that sucks the oxygen right out of your lungs, and the other one is the moon. Seriously, the only difference between the two places is that one of them has a basketball team, and even then, it just only barely has a basketball team. Okay, so enough Cleveland jokes. Sorry, Cleveland. You know, not really. But anyway, sorry, Cleveland. In an effort to be better without having to re-sign LeBron James, Cleveland approached NASA to find out if there was a good way to bring broadband to the streets of Cleveland. And it turns out, NASA is actually trying to solve that very problem, except, you know, in space on the moon, because who the hell wants to travel to the moon if you can't see cat pictures? No one, I tell you. No one. 
So NASA and Cleveland sat down and figured out that it would take around 20,000 routers spread throughout the city to get most residents connected to a giant mesh network. This would allow the 31% of disconnected residents in the city, and holy cow, Cleveland, 31%? Anyway, this would allow them to have access to minimal broadband, but hey, something is better than nothing. In Cleveland, routers would be mounted to utility poles and light posts and the like. On the moon, it would be more like landers and new structures that would be built. But it turns out the theory is basically the same. And really, just imagine how high LeBron could dunk playing on the moon. Now that sounds like a win-win, if you ask me. Back in application, API, bugs, attachment, DevOps, backend, frameworks, backward, component, oriented, natural language, process, software, blue text editor, book margin, Boolean web server. Welcome to Tech Yeah! This week for Tech Yeah, I have an item that is pretty cool, but also laughably expensive. Sorry, Anchor, but jeez. But what we're looking at here, well, looking at through your ears, because that's how podcasts work. What we're looking at here is the PowerWave Go. This is an appropriately named device because this is a wireless charging stand that can charge your phone, Apple Watch, and AirPods. And yes, specifically, it's an Apple Watch. It took this device to teach me that Apple does not use Qi charging for the Apple Watch, but rather some other kind of wireless charging tech, which just seems weird. But that's a discussion for another time. Anyway, now that I am using an Apple Watch, the device is a lot more useful for me. So let's break it all down. The smallest charging area is a little nook that is designed for AirPods. Realistically, any wireless earbuds that will fit can charge there, but obviously the device design dictates that it's for AirPods. I can charge the TCL Move Audio S600s on there, but ironically, I can't charge Anchor's own Soundcore Liberty 2 Pros or Liberty 3 Pros, so go figure, I guess. That's just a little nook in the stand, but the Anchor PowerWave Go is appropriately named because the charging stand for the phone and for the watch are detachable that you can take with you. So if you're running out and your watch is a little bit low, grab a charger and take it with you. It's like a little charging puck with a USB-C connector on it. Similarly, the charging stand for the phone is a 10,000 milliamp hour battery that you can just pop off the dock and take with you. The battery has built-in wireless charging, duh, but it also has a USB-C plug at the bottom. The charging puck for the watch does not have a built-in battery, but you can plug the puck into the end of the battery and charge your watch and your phone at the same time. Anchor calls this travel mode. You can also plug in the puck to any USB-C port on your computer and charge that way, and Anchor calls that desktop mode. Plus, when the battery is in the base, it's a nice charging stand that holds your phone at a good angle for viewing incoming notifications and the like. The power station comes with an Anchor 20-watt power delivery charging plug for powering the station. The battery is a typical battery. It's about the size and depth of a phone, so it's not terribly cumbersome. As I mentioned, it has a single USB-C port on the bottom and a power button with four charge indicators on the side. 
The top is a grippy textured covering so your phone doesn't slide off. The wireless charging is good up to 5 millimeters, so you don't have to take your case off your phone to get it to charge. One quirk that I noticed with the charging stand for my phone is that when I set my phone on it, it didn't always start charging right away. I sometimes had to futz with the battery or with the power button on the battery to get the lights on the side to turn on, in which case charging would commence. I asked Anchor about that and I haven't gotten a response yet, so we're just going to shrug and move on. An additional bonus for this stand is because the battery is detachable, this stand actually folds down into luggage quite nicely, so I definitely appreciate that. But now we get to the ouch part. This stand retails for $179.99 and just wowza, that's a lot of cheese for a charging stand. Even one that is very convenient and configurable like this one. Let me just tell you folks, I love this stand and I've used it every day for the past three or four weeks. I've had real life scenarios where I need to grab the battery and go, securing the knowledge that it was always charged and ready. But $179 is a lot to ask for that. There is no shortage of three device wireless charging stands out there and Anchor is one of the best at charging tech, no doubt. But that is still a commanding price tag. Is it worth it? I really don't think so, to be honest. There's a lot of convenience built into this device, but I really don't think it's that much convenience. Really, the only reason I bring this up on Tech Yeah, and I was on the bubble for a while, is because of all that convenience. It's super cool to be able to do all that with one gadget, but yeah, that price is a major trip to Ouchtown. That being said, there is a link in the show notes at benefitofadow.com, and if you want to pick one up, you'll be helping out the show. It is a cool device, and you'll have my thanks. But for now, let's get back to the show. This week on the podcast, we are taking a hard, long look at the Pixel 5a. Cliff's lack of impulse control means that he bought a Pixel 5a in addition to the official one that we've been using as a review unit. So we are both, we both have some thoughts about it. So we are going to share those thoughts here on our official Pixel 5a review. Cliff, how are you doing this evening? I'm great. I'm uh, childless and wifeless at the moment. They are far away in another land. And so I have the house to myself, I have a Pixel 5a, and I'm talking to one of my good friends, so I am excellent. Are you wearing pants, though? I am wearing pants. Well, no. Given all that, that's not necessarily a... I'm wearing shorts, so... Okay, well, whatever. That's cool. So we are here to talk about the Pixel 5a, and we're here for two reasons. Um, first of all, Google kind of screwed me a little bit. And second of all, we, I was supposed to be doing this interview with somebody else, but they kind of bailed on me in the last second. Not a big deal. It happens. It's, uh, it's a busy time. So, but the reason that we were waiting this long to do the Pixel 5a review was because Google, or Android 12 was supposed to drop this week, and it did, kind of. But, uh, you know, the... The thing about this phone, and like I'm probably going to give you the conclusion right now, so this is not very good uh, strategically speaking, but the thing about the Pixel 5a is this is basically the Pixel 4a 5G and the Pixel 5 having a baby and spitting out this phone. And like, you know, when, when, when reviewers reviewed this phone, they rightly said... You know, if you have a Pixel 5, you know what this phone is like. If you have a Pixel 4 A 5G, you know what this phone is like. So really, the only major differentiator for this review was going to be the software. And then Google said, well, here's the software. 
the AOSP version. Oh, you have a Pixel? No, you don't get that yet. So, like, ah, uh, Google. Bad Google, no cookie. So, yeah, that's kind of, that's what brings us here today. So, uh, I could download the AS, AOSP version. I actually did download the Android SDK to try to get this to install, but, like, I'm just not that flavor of nerd. So, like, when it came down to it, I just said, screw it, I'll just wait for the OTA. And uh, But I still had a story to do this week, so <laughs> here we are. And Cliff is kind of saving my bacon here, and I really appreciate that, Cliff. Oh, you know how much I love talking to you. It's, it's uh, you know, it's, right. a, it's, it's a glorious opportunity for me to talk about phones. So what, what am I to, who am I to complain? This is true. This is true. So you've had the Pixel 4a or Pixel 5a. God damn it. <laughs> you have had well, the I mean Pixel I do have 5a. the 4a 5g too. So technically that's not right. entirely untrue. You you basically have like twins there <laughs> that are like but well, so I mean like you so, know I just so I was thinking yeah. about what in your in your in your introduction to uh this the the 5a about how it really is like the offspring of the 4A 5G and the Pixel 5. And it, I, I, I'm going to Star Trek reference it up here because there is an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Okay. Uh, and if you heard me typing, hopefully you won't because it'll be edited out in post. But I need to actually, oh, that is actually the name of the X. There's an episode called Tuvix. Tuvix. Okay. Exactly. It took me a second to figure out where you're going with where that. Where Neelix and Tuvok yeah. get genetically combined thanks to, I think it's actually a, 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 a spore or a plant in, in yeah. the, uh, that has like a, a mutagenic properties. And a transporter like accident, if I remember right, correctly. Right. And a transporter yeah. accident. And so this phone really is the Tuvix. Of the five A of the five. That actually, and, you know, if I didn't already have a better title for this review, this might be the Tuvix phone. <laughs> that <laughs> might actually phone. be the title. Um, but anyway, so okay, so like any other review, we're going to start off by talking about the hardware of the phone, and the hardware on this phone is pretty darn plain. I mean, you know, you can have it in any color as long as any color you want, as long as it's black. And you've got the camera bump on the back along with the fingerprint sensor, which I have found to be, you know, pretty accurate, pretty fast, you know, could, but on par with normal rear-mounted it's, fingerprint It's what you do expect. If you've used a Pixel phone with a with a yeah. fingerprint reader on the back. Yeah. So not um, the 4 series minus the, the 4A uh, or 4H 5G, then yes, it's exactly that. Right, and the volume rocker and power button are in the wrong order on the right side of the phone because Google hates me or something. But the power button does have a nice little accent color. It's like a grayish color, like a bluish grayish. I don't yeah. know, I'm colorblind. And it's ridged, um, which is nice. Um, and it is and it is ribbed for her pleasure. <laughs> so, um, And then um, on the back, you've got the camera bump with the dual cameras, uh, both 12-megapixel sensors. One is an ultra-wide, one is a uh, main sensor, and... On the front, it's a 6.4-inch AMOLED screen. Is that right, 6.4, I think? That sounds right. Mm -hmm. I don't have the hardware specs in front of me, but... Right. Uh, With a single hole-punch camera in the upper left-hand corner for the selfie camera. So, I mean, that's your basic tour around the uh, periphery of the phone. There is a headphone jack on the top, so... Which I have... I've actually used it in the the headphone jack. My... uh, Really? In the past few days, yeah. No, just... uh, I, I have... Really nice circumoral, like you know, over-the-ear Bluetooth headphones, and I have three pairs of of true wireless headphones, but they all happen to right. die. 
Like I literally like one died, then I picked up the other one. All the batteries were just dead, and oh, I didn't have. So I'm like, well, I do have my wired headphones in, in my drawers. So I dug those out, shook the crust off of them, and used uh, the, the the headphone a headphone jack on my phone for the first time in probably three years. I know it's been a long time. For it you felt too. weird, and it, it reminded me of why I don't particularly like using because I. These particular wired headphones are um, Grado SR80Es, which are fantastic headphones. But Grado puts these, and I think they've actually updated this with the the newest version, but they put this really thick, heavy headphone cable on them. And the result of that is it's got so much mass to it that if you move around too much... It moves the phone, and so you actually can drag oh. your phone off without accidentally, which I did uh, once. So, right. yeah, that was that. It reminded me of why wireless headphones are a nice thing. Sure, sure, absolutely, and I, 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 I totally get that. You're right. I haven't used wired headphones in forever. I don't know. It's necessarily been that long. I probably used them out of like sheer curiosity. <laughs> sometime in the last three years, but, you know, probably as part of a review process or something like that. But I never actually did plug in a headphone jack jack into these. Um, But, uh, yeah, so I guess that's my... That's my failing. I mean, I have found the screen to be particularly nice to use, uh, very responsive. You know, it, it's it's kind of on par with what you'll find on a on a good mid range phone. You know, it's it's uh, it's a gorgeous screen. I think it has good really color reproduction. So, I mean, it's got it checks all the hardware boxes. Really, it checks all the hardware boxes. I think, except for one, when you're talking about um, maybe some of the phones who I can't maybe from. Even manufacturers that whose whose devices aren't necessarily um, technically available in in our market, but you can get. Uh, actually, I, I shouldn't say that because just OnePlus does sell phones that are less expensive that have a ninety hertz screen. So that's like the one thing you're missing. Oh, and I think right, it's like right, the one right. thing you're missing versus the, the Pixel Five. Um, it is having that, which wouldn't. I think for you be something that you really miss since you don't see the difference anyway. <laughs> nope. Not even a little bit. Uh, but yeah, but you're right. Fun. This is a 60 Hertz screen. So right. that, that does need to be said. Um, and you know, that's, there's uh you know, that, that is a definite uh, step down from the pixel five. Although did the pixel four, a five G have a 90 Hertz screen? I don't think no. it did. Right. No, no. Okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, 6.34 inches is the uh, official screen size, by the way. <laughs> While you were talking about the 90 hertz, I went ahead and uh, looked that up. On the inside, uh, it's a Snapdragon 765G, so similar to what we had. What did we have on that last year? The, the Velvet had the uh, uh, 765G, right? I have used and, so many phones with the 765G. Let's see, the, ve- <laughs> right? the Velvet last year's Moto Edge. The Moto um, Edge, yeah. The 4A 5G. Mm-hmm. And this phone, I think I've used. And actually, the Pixel else. Five had the uh, had yes. the seven six. Yeah, okay. And uh, let's see, uh, one hundred twenty eight gigabytes storage, six gigabytes of RAM, which I believe are both the same as the uh, as the Pixel Five. Yes, and I you're right. um, also, by the way, minor correction: sixteen megapixel ultra wide camera, twelve point two megapixel um, main. So it has it has the same camera hardware because it's a pixel, oh, yeah. obviously that that they've been using in uh, their phones for quite a while, which is why they're. If you look at, <laughs> I mean, the, the improvements are are I think from like the three on or mostly on the software side. Um, 
but but their expertise with that camera set is really good. Kind of how LG did forever. They just had that same camera set they used forever. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really hoping. Actually, I'm looking forward to the camera upgrade on the Pixel Six that is upcoming. Right, right. But, um, and then the the really the headline I think of this phone was the much larger battery, the four thousand six hundred eighty milliamp hour battery in this phone, as opposed to it was around. 36 3800 30, maybe in the in the okay. pixel 4 4a 5g i don't know about i think the pixel 5 actually might have been pixel 5 smaller? the pixel 5 was slightly bigger but it was not as right. big as this right. this was like i want to say this was like almost a 20 percent improvement over you know either of the two other two phones so this was a significant upgrade and well, i think you, that I when, think you, that ha- when you have a tuvix uh phone you know that it, it, the sometimes the logic up with logic says that things will evolve right and so that is That's one right. improvement <laughs> um and 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 i think that bore out like i i know a lot of people were saying this is almost a two-day phone i did not have that experience and i think the main reason i didn't have that experience was because i am you know i play call of duty mobile a lot and so that just sucks battery like nobody's business but this is the first phone that I used my all-new battery test. And this is going to be my official battery test, at least until I come up with something better. No, 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 um, no, 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 on the podcast. Yeah, okay, I, was, I thought you were saying no, 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 no. I'm like, what? <laughs> What's the problem? So, um, okay, so in order to test the battery, for, and I've done this for two phones so far, the Pixel 5a and the iPhone 13 Pro. In order to test the battery, I have done 30 minutes of navigation with the screen at 75% brightness, 30 minutes of Netflix streaming on Wi-Fi, followed by 30 minutes of Call of Duty Mobile. So and that and that is at full screen brightness and the Pixel 5a came out the other end of that at 83%. So wow. that's yeah, so I mean that used up about almost a almost a fifth of the battery. Um but the iPhone 13 did a little worse. But anyway, um so so that's going to be the new test going forward. Like when I talk about battery strength, that's because I think like of those three things are like the three things that you could really do to a phone battery to just knock it out of the park, to yeah, just like G- beat the heavy GPU use, heavy screen brightness at the same time. Uh, right. With, with maps, you're pulling from uh, the GPS, which additional battery. And use you there. have the screen on the entire right, time. Exactly. So, I mean, mm-hmm. like the screen is what really sucks down everything, mm-hmm. you know, cause the screen is on for all three of those things. So, I mean, you're basically looking at an hour and a half of screen on time and, uh, and, and, you know, just from those three tests. And uh, the reason I cranked the brightness up to a hundred percent on the gaming test is because it's Call of Duty Mobile, and I don't want to die. So it's easier for me to see things when it's up to 100%. Otherwise, I could leave it at 75%, but um, but I didn't. So anyway, so that is our all-new battery test. So uh, welcome, battery test, to the review process. And we hope to, uh, we hope to see a lot of you. So um, now that we've covered the hardware, we can go ahead and just trans- transition on over into software. And... I know you've been running the Android 12 beta. I have been running Android 11 because I'm waiting for the OTA update um, as we as we discussed. So, like, I have found the software to be 
good, but not nearly as delightful as I found the Pixel 4a to be. And my main reason for that, and you're, you're probably thinking to yourself, like, it's the same software, dude. What's wrong with you? Yeah, you my can't see it, but my, my face looked really confused. Uh, my main problem with the software has actually been in Google Assistant. Like, there have been numerous times that I have launched Google Assistant given it a command and it just either doesn't receive the command or it does receive the command and doesn't do anything. And it's just been really, really irritating. And like, this is through multiple like restarts and stuff like that. You know, I've done the, the normal troubleshooting stuff, but you know, I'll just, I'll just swipe up from the corner. Like I always do and, you know, navigate to whatever. And it's just thinking, 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 and it just never actually executes the command. And, you know, it, it it has happened like while I've been in the car, so maybe I was like too far away from the Wi-Fi, but not far enough that it like switched over to cellular or whatever. Not that's not the case. I drove like three, four blocks away, pulled over, and redid the same thing. Um, also, from a connectivity standpoint, um, there are there were times that I would like leave my home Wi-Fi, and it would just not do anything. It would like not transition over to the 5g connectivity like it would just it would it would it would basically act as if there was no signal hmm. until one of two things either a i went into airplane mode and came back out or b until i restarted the phone yeah it, it sounds like there's some uh, not well sorted out stacks there um hmm. that i don't know if you've had the same if you've had well, similar so, troubles but so Specifically, when you mentioned the Google Assistant stuff, I, mm-hmm. I have experienced that not so much on this phone specifically, okay, but on, on multiple different phones. So I, I, I don't know why that is. Maybe I, that, I mean maybe it's a Google Assistant thing. I don't I'm know, also running, but... I, but see, this goes back to where I don't know, and I think everybody's experiences are different. But I'm running the Google, um, as far as the app itself. Uh, when I'm running the beta, and I'm running actually a lot of a, a lot of the Google stuff on the the, the beta versions, okay. because I like to live okay. on the bleeding edge, which is also <laughs> why I'm also running the. <laughs> You're a wild the beta man. Ver- I'm a wild man with my with my. Well, you know, I, the good thing about me is, I mean, there's nothing that's um. There's nothing on my phone that is so, um, that that affects me enough other than. Uh, you know, just basic connectivity kind of stuff. If mm-hmm. I if I lose something, if I have issues, um, where a beta is going to hamper me as far as my work is concerned. So I, I mean, I, you know, obviously I I I I don't want it to. I don't want to experience issues. Um, but typically, you know, even when I'm running the beta, I yes, I have been running the Android 12 beta, but I did not run like the first. I didn't install the first three on 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 previous Pixel phones for that sure. reason because I don't like having those those horrible issues that can be with the first right few releases yeah i will say i i <clears throat> sorry i don't i don't know i don't know that that's a pixel specific thing but i mean as far as what you're experiencing i i, I don't know why that is it is it is really weird like you'll just mm-hmm. i know exactly what you're talking about i think where you'll you'll say okay g and and then you'll give it a command and then it just sits there with like the colored rainbow thing like doing this yeah yeah and then yeah, it eventually exactly. times out yeah 
I don't so know why. I, just, I encountered that a lot more on the Pixel than I kind of thought that I should. Like, you Absolutely. would think if Google's yes. going to fix this anywhere, it's going to be on its own hardware. So, you know, that was kind of a, a rough thing that I that I ran into. So, I mean, other than that, like, you know, the software is pretty awesome. You know, it's 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 good. Um, you know, it's you know, it's it's your typical Pixel stuff. I mean, there's nothing really outrageously fantastic about it and there's nothing that's really it's kind of like my relationship with the pixel 4a you know i i really dig it and i'm not sure why like it's just it's it's just kind of there and it kind of does its thing um i i like having the google bar on the bottom you know even below the uh the row of folders that i have so i you know i dig that and you know the rest of it is you know i like the launcher and you know coming coming off of a samsung phone um having the vertical launcher is so much nicer and god samsung would you please just steal that? i know i i don't understand that either it's it it is interesting and i think you've had this conversation with me um before Probably. you received, or we had this conversation before you received the uh, the five, and maybe it was even before you received uh, your three A, which you kind of are using as your your test bed for mm-hmm. uh, the beta stuff. But um, there's something about when I when I don't have a Pixel, and especially if I've been using, like you said, something like a Samsung phone. Um, and, and Samsung's, I mean, I think I think One UI is is pretty darn good, honestly, especially compared to you know, four or five years ago, Samsung mm-hmm. software, but I, I do, I, I think I, I'm, I use this, this metaphor a lot, but it, the pixel launcher to me feels like a comfy pair of shoes, kind of like Motorola software. Okay. And, and I miss it when I don't have it. And it just, sure. you, you kind of settle back into the, the, the pixel. And then, and then sometimes it's funny, like, again, like you said, coming from Samsung, but then it, it's almost sometimes too basic. You're like, Oh, I wish I had some complication in my life. Right? Yeah. Because they bit. do the same things, but Google's it just, it's just, I don't, you're right. It's really yeah. hard to put a finger on what it is about the Pixel software, though, that, that makes it, if you want to call it special, if you want to call it googly, I, I don't know. But it is, yeah. it is especially googly. And I think you're going to find when you actually use, um, well, you have used Android 12, but maybe not as like your daily driver, that it is even more googly for better yeah. or worse. So uh, that being said, and actually just because of time constraints, we need to move on to the camera. Uh, the camera on the Pixel is arguably the best camera that I have used this year. And now the jury is still out on the iPhone 13 um, because that review is coming next week. But, and God, I've got a review to do. Oh, man. <laughs> so many um, reviews. So yeah, many so many reviews. Uh, now, the uh, so there's two different lenses on here, like we talked about, the ultra-wide and the, and the Pixel. And this is one of the first phones that I have used that the color reproduction on both lenses is basically identical Mm -hmm. like if they're i have to do some like very severe deep dive pixel peeping in order to find anything with the no i said severe not hey siri and (laughs) by the way the apple uh, hey siri on apple sucks anyway moving on um i have to do some very severe uh, like deep dive pixel peeping in order to find any differences between these two lenses which is awesome and you know the the pixel 5a does not have a um a uh, a telephoto lens but it does a 2x crop so naturally the colors are the same because it's the same sensor and but even so the 2x the 2x zoom crop is actually 
pretty decent, although it has made me really appreciate the 3X zoom on the iPhone 13. Spoiler alert for next week. Um, but anyway, so like, just, you know, just and, you know, during the day, it's it's really good. The the um, the snipping around the edges for portrait mode is very solid. And by the way, just for the audience, there is going to be a camera review on the YouTube channel for this phone. It's obviously not going to be using this voiceover because this voiceover sucks. But <laughs> there is going to be like a more a more uh, formal pixel uh, pixel camera review coming out probably this week or maybe 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 next weekend. We'll folks. We'll spoiler see. alert: He has brought back the tri camera. Uh, the triphone camera the, test rig. So yep, get prepared. Yep. And and speaking of which, I did go out and do some night shooting with this, and arguably the best night camera I've used this year. And that even that even includes the um, the uh, Samsung. Now I haven't taken a real close look at the video, um, the video, the the nighttime video mm. shot of uh, the nighttime. The video, the video that I shot at night is what I'm trying to say. I haven't taken a real close look at that. It is uh, what I can say is from the little bit I've looked at it, it is rather pixelated. Um, there's no focus issues like you tend to see, but there is like a little bit of vibration as you like walk down the street. You know, like how sometimes the uh, oh yeah the picture can kind of you know judder a little bit. Well, I mean, up it, and it down, has so. optical image stabilization on the main camera, but in in it. But with video, I definitely saw. Um, I mean, it's definitely stabilized. Uh, yeah, but there, there's some judder there. Definitely. There is, and I, I think it is more than acceptable for a four hundred and fifty dollar phone. Though I will say, I would say that yeah, it's it's not it's, so like the photographs are very good. The video is yeah, but honestly, like video at night, that is the hardest thing to get right because is, you know. And, and, yeah, I, and I, I will say that as, as like, a thing across the board with uh, Pixels, Pixels have never been great at video. Um, right. In my experience. And I, and I think that's their, I think that's actually the, 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 the brand's reputation, right? And, and, and supposedly, and this is actually what I'm very excited for about the Pixel 6, is that because of, of Tensor, yeah, so supposedly with... Uh, the Pixel 6 and the Tensor Processing, you know, the, the, the system on a chip that Google has uh, developed uh, uh, customly with uh, Samsung as a partner, uh, video is supposed to get a lot better. So maybe that's, uh, you know, the one the one area where we'll see Google really take a leap in the next year. And, and hopefully that will, um, you know, when we see like a 6A, you know, maybe that will be the next leap forward for, for these mid-range, you know, very affordable phones that... that um, you know, put the power of, of I think, like you're saying this, I think this phone honestly punches way above its weight when it comes to the, the still images. It's, it's pretty amazing. Right. Yeah. And, and I should mention also that the, uh, the color reproduction that, uh, going from the, the, the ultra wide to the, to the main sensor is very good during the day, but there is a distinct difference at night. And I think that's just because of the aperture, that you know the aperture difference between the two so but like even during even at night like the the portrait mode is very solid like it it cuts out like the wispies of my hair because i have long hair because i'm a i'm a i'm a hippie he's a wispy boy uh, right he so is. it cuts out the wispies but i mean that's like any phone is gonna do that but like e like i said even at night 
you the you know the the portrait mode is very solid the color reproduction is really solid um you know the highlights are not too blown out even the darks um you know the darks get a little pixelated but honestly even like blown up on a large screen it's not bad i mean that's it's, a, that's a the, the shot that you were just showing so so <laughs> what do we always say uh uh it's uh, not great uh, radio when you're when you're talking about something that you're seeing on your screen. Right. But Adam's showing a, a, a night shot picture of something that's actually backlit, and it's really pretty nicely balanced. I and mean, that's a really whatever you're shooting, whatever is behind you is like a really strong backlight, and and it's right. The shadows are not crushed. The mm-hmm. highlights are balanced. The only thing I see where it. Where where you probably could use some adjustment are just there are some white flowers it looks like in in the foreground that well that's are kind of blown out spotlights in the front too right right so so yeah I mean no but that's I mean that's that's what I tend to find with with uh, Google tends to balance out images really where uh, really well once the processing gets done it's kind of amazing honestly yeah. Yeah, it really does. I mean, it really does a good job. And I think this is the type of phone that you can take like a respectable shot in just about any circumstance. And as long as you're sticking with photos, you're going to be in good shape. And again, as with most cameras or as with most camera setups, if you're going to do a night shot, do a night shot with the main sensor, not with the ultra wide. So, but, uh, oh, that's an interesting shot of the spider there. Hmm. Yeah, and you know what? I could not get that shot with an iPhone 13. I could not get it to focus. On probably going to say it probably wouldn't focus, would it? Yeah. Which is interesting because, like, the reason I switched over to the Pixel was because, well, let me try it with a pro with a pro mode. But I forgot the Pixel camera doesn't actually doesn't have, have a pro, a pro mode. mode. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. it's like it's like, oh, well, it still got the shot. So I was kind of happy with it. But at the same time, like, it's an interesting conversation to have about because you, you know you think about the iPhone, right? Is like the 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 phone that you would recommend to. Your person who just wants the fire and forget kind of, of uh, you know, which which it is. I mean, I think for most people that the iPhone does get great images without having to think about it. It's a. I feel like Pixel phones in general are a phone that you can hand to somebody and say, this is a phone that you can use every day. Kind of like, the, it, in some ways it is like, I don't know, I've heard this comparison before, but it is kind of like uh, the Android iPhone. Yeah. And that it's that, yeah. you know, you know what you're going to get out of it. You know you're going to get software updates. And it's going to be secure. It's easy to use. the The hardware is. It doesn't have the design flair of an iPhone. So, and then uh, moving on, the last thing we need to talk about is, of course, the astrophotography because it's a Pixel. And I know you didn't really get a chance to do many shots, which kind of sucks because, given where you live, you get much better shots than I would. Um, I've taken but a lot anyway. of shots, just not not any uh, night shots. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, with the astrophotography, like I. I get some beautiful starscapes. Like I love looking at just like the starscapes and and the stuff that the Pixel is capable of. And actually, there was a new mode that I didn't really get a chance to test that was supposed to do kind of like a um, like a time lapse of starscapes, mm, yes. which I never got a chance to test that out. I think maybe in 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 the next couple of weeks when I'm in an area a more remote area. <laughs> Maybe I can do some testing with that then. But like overall, I just I dig the starscapes that it's capable of capturing. And, uh, you know, I live in a, you know, a a city with a lot of light pollution. So like my nightscapes are kind of washed out, which I don't like. But I I tried driving like three hours away from my house the one time just to get like nightscapes. And, 
you know, once I was certain that I wasn't going to get killed on the side of the road, um, <laughs> then I was able to uh, grab some shots, which were still pre- which were much better. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So I mean, that's that's kind of the Pixel the Pixel Five A camera in a nutshell. And I think like, and you know, it sounds like the it sounds like this camera evaluation has been regurgitated since the Pixel 2. Like, it does great, you know, great stills and blah, blah, blah. So, like, but I think the Pixel 6 is going to be a real sea change when it comes to the, you know, Pixel camera performance. And it's already really good. And that's what I'm, like, really looking forward to. Like, just to see what the Pixel 6 will be able to accomplish. So yeah, then, it's, um, it's, it's the first time that Google has, or in a long time, that Google has um, introduced a phone where there are going to, yeah, like like that narrative is not necessarily going to be turned on its head, but we're really expecting something like that's like that's going to be like a leap, a right. big leap for them, and the, you know I it alluded to that in the video part of it, and <laughs> it needs to be, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it. I will say uh, just just very quickly, my experience having owned the four A five G versus this. Obviously, the the, the battery is bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, as you referenced earlier, the the combination that it is the Tuvix phone of the Pixel five and the four A five G actually does benefit it because it is a metal chassis instead of plastic and in in yeah. a metal body. Um, yeah. Although although and and they do actually feel different. Like the, the it's that it's got that. Uh, I guess you'd call it painted on surface on the outside versus just being plastic. And it does feel tacky and kind of plasticky, but yeah. it, it is definitely more weighty more than, more than just a metal chassis would add to it. It's just, it's, it's a more confidence, uh, um, inducing phone. Yeah. Agree. Uh, so. compared to the 4A or the 4A 5G. And so it's definitely a worthy upgrade. And, and um, it, in many ways, it's just a, a better, version of the 4a 5g that's kind of that's kind of my assessment honestly it's yeah it's just, just a better version yeah yeah and you know and it's supposed to be i mean and and i think you know the other thing and and, and i wanted to mention this early on but i kind of forgot about it but i think the other reason that i didn't i wasn't as enamored with this phone as i was with the pixel 4a is just because of the size of it like i'm kind of over 6.4 inch screens at mm. this point you know the, the pixel 4a was the 5.8 eight inch screen wasn't right. it it was something it was it was a, a significantly smaller and so like when the pixel 4 the pixel 5a was announced with these specifications i'm just like eh. um so like and like the the the, the iphone 13 that i've been testing with a 6.1 screen is very nice still maybe just a hair too big you know a hair bigger than i would like so like i think the pixel 4a also fell into that perfect like sweet spot of screen sizes. So, uh, but anyway, that being said, this is a phone that is very easy to recommend for four hundred fifty dollars. Um, the in terms of like you know, and I mentioned earlier on the conversation that I was playing like you know Call of Duty Mobile and stuff like that. This phone can handle that. There was there's a little bit of a stutter like in, during gameplay. It can like kind of hiccup every now and then but overall like just from a general performance standpoint it's uh it's pretty okay and yes i know now that i've done the battery test i need to do the performance i need to rejigger the perform performance testing so i it took this long to get here so just give it some time um i did not run any benchmarks on this phone because i usually forget to run run the benchmarks until i'm actually writing the review and i get to the performance section and i say oh crap benchmark stuff here (laughs) um so i didn't get a chance to do that obviously this time around 
but uh, but I mean, again, we've we've reviewed on this podcast at least two, if not three, phones with the 765G. So you probably have a pretty good idea as to what this phone is capable of. Cliff, any final thoughts? Because we got to wrap things up. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I would say, you referenced me buying the phone, and actually, I will say. First of all, it's fifty dollars less than than the four A five G was, and actually, if you unless you're on Verizon, in which case, uh, it, it's actually one hundred and fifty dollars less. Except that this that the five uh, A does not have millimeter wave support, but that's okay mm. for ninety nine percent of you people out there because most of you don't have millimeter wave around well, you anyway. So, uh, right. but but what I wanted to talk about just very quickly is is the fact that I am a pick I am a, a Google Fi subscriber and. So I I did not buy this phone outright, and what I, so what I've actually done is is subscribed to a plan that they have that Google has through uh, Google Fi, uh, in which it, it, I'm I'm literally a, a subscription person with this phone. They offer it yeah. for nine dollars a month or fifteen dollars a month with phone insurance for two wow. years. Then you keep the phone, and then you upgrade to whatever the like I guess the the, the slot in is for two years from there. I think that's a fantastic deal. Oh yeah, for ten bucks a month, absolutely. That's that's kind of a no brainer. It really um, is. Yeah, and and like personally for me, I bought the phone outright. You know, you know mm-hmm. the, that was just part of the uh, the review budget. And when I say budget, I mean money that I'm hiding from my wife. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, so I bought this phone out, outright, and I've been using it for a long time. I've enjoyed my time with it, and I cannot wait to trade it in for eight hundred dollars off the next Samsung phone. Nice, <laughs> right? That was the but experience anyway. with the 4A, right? Yeah, that's what I did with the 4A. That went into the Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra. So um, anyway, uh, speaking of which, there may be some more Samsung stuff on the horizon coming from this podcast. So we will see. Um, There is a very special and it's probably going to be live and it's probably going to be on the main channel. So sorry, patrons, you might get kind of screwed out of this one. But there will be a very special Doubting Thomas monthly recap coming up in about two weeks. So mark your calendars. and um, But for now, that is our full review of the Pixel 5a 5G. And I would like to thank Cliff for coming on and saving my bacon. And I would like to thank Google for not releasing Android 12 and making this late review completely pointless. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I would like to thank Cliff Thomas for kind of saving my bacon on this particular episode and coming on to talk about the Pixel 5a. And I would also like to thank his lack of impulse control that got him to buy a Pixel 5a in the first place. I'd also like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes. But most of all, and as always, I would like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.